Hello and welcome everybody to Patch and Crash. This is going to be episode 10 of the podcast where gaming culture and life collide. I'm here here today with a special guest of the show. Welcome Martin Lindell. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. I've been a uh, avid listener. Excellent. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and why you're here. <laughs> yeah, so, well, let's try to keep the uh, short story to not run out of time. Uh, I started in the mid-90s uh, working uh, in retail, selling games, transitioned over to media, writing about games. Uh, then I work with um, the trade association, um, things like public affairs, age ratings, statistics, and similar, uh, which led me to publishing. Uh, published Nintendo DS games, uh, early days of uh, PlayStation Network or what became PlayStation Store, uh, WiiWare and such. And then I spent um, uh, a couple of years at DICE, where I met some of you guys. Uh, fun years, uh, did Battlefield uh, and a bit of Mirror's Edge. Um, a couple of years ago, I went over to Raw Fury, looking for something smaller, uh, publishing and marketing. And now I'm currently at the Embracer Group, which is a parent company of Koch Media, GSU Nordic, Amplifier, Sabre, and Coffee Stain. Um, but I'm also quite engaged in uh, retro games, written uh, books about uh, video game history, uh, specifically from a Swedish perspective, as it tends to be uh, very US-centric. Uh, I think the US is really good at, uh, and this is not to discredit those books, I think the US are really good at making history and uh, put prominence. Uh, I mean, just look at WrestleMania or Super Bowl it's just that's how you build history. You you infuse something, and I think that's why there's a modern storytelling of culture. Why I think Europeans are more deeply rooted in old history and might miss what's in front of their eyes. Oh, interesting. So there's a social aspect to everything as well. Um, but we thought that you know when we have you on, you've you've been a student of game history for for so long. We we should talk about the power of nostalgia in gaming. Uh, which is going to be the talk topic for this uh, episode. But before we do that, we have a little game we like to play called Play, Hate, and Miss, where we talk about the games we're playing, what we're hating on, and what we're missing right now. So, you know, you're the guest of the show. Why don't you start, Martin? Okay, uh, so I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima. I find it amazingly good. Uh, okay. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's everything I love. Uh, there are some uh, sword battles, sword duels. You know, you're a samurai in, in feudal Japan fighting Mongols. Uh, there's exploration, open world. You know, you've got to find those charms, those uh, fox dens and all that. It's, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, I think I've passed the moat, uh, meaning that these open world games, they're an investment. Mm -hmm. It's not as much about anymore how much a game costs. It's, are willing to sink down the time, and I'm 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 in it now. It, this is like a Skyrim trip. I'm gonna spend forty or fifty hours in this game. Excellent, nice. So, uh, do you have anything you hate on right now? Well, I would say first what I miss. I miss the retro game conventions. Uh, I miss you know meeting other collectors, meeting uh, other players, speedrunners, uh, other. People that that uh, are very passionate about game history, um, 
it's um, it lightens up. It makes you inspired. It makes you want to learn more and play more. Uh, so the COVID situation, uh, not going to any of these, these conventions. And that transitions into what I hate. I sort of hate that everybody's talking down E3. Like, we don't need E3. What's the point of E3? <laughs> and <clears throat> I mean, people miss the networking and the point of business to business. Uh, I can agree that that E3 has not been good at transitioning from a buyer's show of purchasing games for the Christmas season to a more modern publisher developer uh, because all the business happens at the hotels around the actual convention. And I think there's a point of uh, everything being very concentrated, meaning you get mass media appeal. Uh, I think Jeff Keighley did a great job of actually bringing together the industry under the flag of uh, Summer of Games Festival. But overall, the announcements and the live streams were quite spread out. I think there was too many announcements, mm. these digital mm. shows. I think there's great, there's more windows, but you sort of missed the big momentum of having it gathered. And there was a fatigue. It was too many shows, too many announcements. It's it's good on one hand, it's a democratization. But on the other hand, I, I, I couldn't keep up with all announcements. Right. That's fair. Yeah, that's right. And it's interesting. It was for consumers. It's, you know serves the same kind of purpose, but maybe for, you know, the publishing development side of things, uh, we didn't get anything out of that, uh, aside from, you know, announcing our games. Uh, Wishlist, Darktide on Steam right now. <laughs> uh, Mike, uh, do, do you have anything you want to... I think we should just leave it leave it there. I mean, that, uh, enough said. I mean, Martin, uh, I want your play. Uh, mine is not nearly as exciting. Um, I made an attempt to go play Death Stranding. I'll be honest. Um, I, I spent more time watching than playing, which we'll then we'll talk about what what I'm hating on. Um, and then uh, it's funny how much that they kind of relate to one another. And I'm still kind of finishing up um, mopping up my city planning with city skylines. So that's that's what I'm spending most of my time. You could not get any more different in types of games, though. Uh, as I'm sitting here looking at that, uh, what am I hating on? You know what I'm hating on is this senseless kind of. Um, or senselessly kind of marveling over um, beautiful graphics. I'm kind of tired of that. And with oh. each like new generation, there's always that conversation that comes up of how beautiful each game needs to be. And I think maybe it's just because I just, I just, you know, I, it's not to say I don't like beautiful games and that are very immersive, but it, but there's so much focus of that. I think oftentimes mm -hmm. it takes away from the design of the game and how fun it can be. Big time. And 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 the, the the recent example of this I'll say was Halo Infinite. I think there's been a whole host of kind of um, feedback in that, uh, saying that it's not good enough, it's not high fidelity, it's not next generation. And I'll be honest, as a Halo fan um, from day one, it hit all of the moments of nostalgia. Right. That really started to bring me back into that franchise, and I care a heck of a lot. Paul's laughing. A little bit, but it it, it 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 hit all those emotional notes, and so, you know, uh, you know, was it low poly models? Was it you know the lighting issues potentially? And I'm sure that that adds to the flavor and the overall experience. But there's just a hyper focus on it, more so even today than the Aspen. I think it's even less relevant. So I'm I'm hating on that. Um, I am. I'll tell you what I'm not missing. By the way, I'm not missing peanut butter M and M's. Oh, look at that! <laughs> and, and you want to know why? Because Two different people have, have watched or have listened to our, our podcasts and have uh, noted 
that uh, my love for peanut butter M&Ms, <laughs> one recently just came back from the States and dropped that on um, my desk the other day. And so I thought, how cool is that? So I'm not, I have, I have a, my stash of peanut butter M&Ms from the States, from American candy stores and everything else over here in Europe. So that's what I'm, I'm, I'm not missing anymore. What I am missing though, and you guys will laugh is because since the dawn of time, this is always something that I, 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 I struggle with and I, I suspect others. And that is just finding a pair of socks that matches. What? I, it's like the seventh mystery of the world. I know it's out of nowhere, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm packing it because I'm going out to the countryside. How is it a problem? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're right. I don't know why. Child? We've exhausted like, the list of it. I don't even have kids in the house. <laughs> and I'm like, how do I lose socks? I have, I have a wash machine dogs. that is literally 10 meters away from me. So where, how does it, how do I lose socks between here and there? Anyway. So, so for some odd reason, I, I can't match any socks and I've lost half the socks. My attrition rate of sock is like pretty steep. Mm-hmm. So that's my play hate and miss. What about you, Paul? Uh, so grounded a new game from obsidian went on early access on, uh, Xbox game pass. So played a little bit of that. Uh, I actually played a little bit with Hans yeah. Played a little bit more, uh, in my own free time. Spider. I, I, uh, yeah, it did scare you indeed. Um, <laughs> I, I love the world building. I love the atmosphere. Um, there's so much of just about the experience I feel immersed in, and I'm, I really love it. But I hate survival mechanic games, so I'm not going to play it. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Like I'm, I'm, I'm bummed out that it uses a gameplay style that I'm not a fan of because it, I want to be in the world, but I can't get past the mechanics. Um, so maybe kind of speaking a little bit to your point about uh, graphics and fidelity, Mike, it comes down to you and your gameplay desires that you have with a game. I think that that override uh, what the the visuals are. Um, what am I What am I hating on? Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and give you kind of a lazy answer. It's actually the weather. Um, I think I had this one before, but lately, like it's been just too cold to go do some of the things that I want to do, and it's um, or it's raining at inappropriate times. I think I've talked about it before. I love sitting and watching the rain. And again, I get engaged in something, it rains, I'm like, oh, that looks nice, I'll get to that in 10 minutes when I'm done with the thing. It stops and I can't go enjoy the rain. Um, or it's just cold out and I'm like, it's supposed to be summertime, I, I need some sun, and it's been kind of meh. Um, kind of a black answer. By the way, Paul, I'm going to totally steal that. It rains at inappropriate times line. Yes. I'm like, yeah, seriously? It's terrible. Well, I mean, it's inappropriate. It is inappropriate to rain at this time. I mean, I love the rain, just not when I'm doing stuff. Like, I want to go out and enjoy it. Like, I love. Uh, never mind. I don't want to get into it. Uh, and then, what am I? What am I missing? Um, somewhat related. I I would like to see the world beyond kind of my area of Stockholm. Um, uh, I talked about travel before, but I even mean like just even within the city. Like, I've basically just been at home for a long time. I think as many others have. And um, I took a walk one day to the office because uh, I needed to go in and grab something, and I was I was there for a short period of time. And it was the first time I'd been to like another part of the city in four months. And I was like, that, this is weird. Um, <laughs> I forgot that this area exists, but oh, that's new. This has changed. Um, yeah. But so it's, I kind of, it made me, it reminded me of the times when even when I walk into parts of the city that I've not been to before, like on, on any other day, I just enjoy the kind of um, the feeling of seeing something new for the first time. And it's kind of like, oh, that's cool. Even if it's mundane, like I just enjoy seeing new stuff. Right. So I kind of miss doing a bit of that because I'm trying to trying to be good. Uh, and we'll leave it off with Hans. What were, sure. what were you up to? Oh, I've been playing, well, uh, Hades for the most part, um, which is that game just keeps uh, keeps pulling me back in. And I, I'm having a hard time kind of 
articulating why I like it so much. And I think it's the writing. I think it's the stories mm-hmm. and the way the characters uh, will pick up on stuff that you've done or specific enemies that have killed you. Or, you know, the second time you have this one encounter, there's a little bit of a different voice line to it. It's just so well made. Such a well made mm-hmm. game. And it's not even sort of out yet. It's still in uh, yeah. early access. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the uh, 1.0 with that one. I uh, and then my hate and mess are kind of related because I was thinking a lot about nostalgia and the way I grew up playing games and grew up with computers and uh, uh, for me the the fact that we're going to lose out on there there's so many games from when I grew up my formative years that we can play right now on emulators and uh, probably have some old you know cassette tapes with uh, Sinclair Spectrum games somewhere that might run probably not but they're still on emulators uh, somewhere but right now with the kind of hyper connected gaming that we have right now there's no way in 20 years for uh, you know people who grew up right now playing games to be able to enjoy them and uh, the future with you know uh, pixel streaming and uh, cloud gaming that's all going to run on rack servers somewhere it's not going to be able to uh, you're not going to be able to play them in the future probably so that's a little bit uh uh i don't i don't like that uh, I really don't. So I'm kind of hating on that we're going to lose a generation of games, basically, to the future. And I miss specifically computer magazines. We used to have a ton of computer magazines uh, growing up. And what I loved about those are the type-in programs that you had on them. So you would type in, you know, a kind of snake game or something like that. And then the next, um, uh, you know, next month edition of the magazine you would type in the following things that had it you know power-ups and stuff like that so the and that mm. really taught me how to program uh, cool. we, without those kinds of things i would never mm. you know be a game programmer today so yeah yes. those are mine <laughs> so so i'm, I'm going to jump in here that, that's cool mm? i um we've talked a lot about like when you can start to see the hints in some of this conversation of nostalgia and what it means to us and so i think i personally am excited about um, being able to kind of talk about this. It's great to have Martin on with all of kind of the, the decades of kind of in gaming. And before we kind of jump into that first question, which is kind of like, why, you know, why do we think nostalgia gaming, it seems to have really escalated in the last five years, or at least started to kind of become even more popular. I mean, it's always been a little bit there, but in the last five years, why has it boomed? Before we do that, just as you guys were talking and talking about kind of your love and history and nostalgia and everything else, um, what was the first game that you guys ever played? Do you remember? I do remember. Uh, I do. It, it was uh, Sa- or Sa- actually, Saboteur. It, it... Go ahead, Martin. Oh. Old one. You remember on the Spectrum. Yeah, exactly. Ah. Okay. I have two different. I'm not sure which was first, but uh, we had Game & Watch. So we had Donkey Kong Jr. and Fire. I still have those two. And we had uh, Intellivision. With uh, Star Strike and I think skiing, um, Just which skiing. my brother have my my older brother had on uh, his room, so I had to run up while he uh, was still in school uh, to play. Um, uh, yeah, those those games. The Hans, what? Were, sorry, did you say it? I missed so, it. So, so yeah, so the game is called Saboteur. Uh, yeah. it, it, it was for the Sinclair ZX Spectrum early 80s, um, side-scrolling ninja adventures. Uh, it was just really crap right now. I, I, I don't think I would enjoy playing right now, but it, it got me hooked, you know, and mm. here I am. <laughs> just... 
I don't I don't remember the first game that I played because it was it would have been on my dad's PC when I was uh, a kid. So I know I played one or two there, but I, I couldn't for the life of me tell you what they were. Maybe it was Asteroids on, on his PC or something or Solitaire. I, I, I don't I, know. But like the first one I actually remember physically playing myself was when we got a Nintendo and I played Super Mario Brothers. Um, yeah. So kind of a, I, a classic, I guess. I love that you brought up Asteroids. I have two games. I guess it depends on what you consider the Before I even had... Before there was before we had a computer in the house, uh, we my father brought home from an auction because apparently nobody wanted it at the time. <laughs> a stand-up arcade for asteroids. Really? Wow! That wow. technically, and I still have it to this day. Ooh, it's shit. actually in uh, in storage uh, back in the states. But I have a stand-up asteroids, and I was like the king, you know, not king of Kong, but the you know, I was the king <laughs> of asteroids. <laughs> so nobody, everybody that that came over could not could not compete with me and my asteroids, and I would I, I would go to sleep with. It. Anyway, the the other game that when we first we got our first computer that was kind of PC compatible with the five and the quarter whatever discs was Jeopardy of all games. I I know I mean it was like because and then it just occurred to me when I said that Jeopardy's been a long time because I remember they made a game about it and that had to be at least thirty years ago maybe twenty five years anyway soundtrack as well. Yeah, oh, it is, yeah, of course. Piece of speaker. It, it, it totally was. So it's like stuck in my head. But anyway, so that was like a good walk down memory lane a little bit. But I think, you know, part of that's just the starter conversation for, um, you know, like why do we think that nostalgic gaming really has boomed in the last few years? And, and Martin, I'd love to kind of, and actually, do you think it makes sense to even define nostalgia gaming? Like for me, I'll just, I'll kind of throw it out there and let's fill it in. But it's everything from remakes to remasters to reimagines to all of kind of the old made new again mm-hmm. in some form would be a good way of how we think about nostalgia gaming. Is that safe to say? Yeah, and okay. throw in some republishing, you know, collections. And um, there's the the general retro collectors, which actually bloomed even. Oh. Uh, remanufacturing of old carts like uh, Retrobit in uh, USA uh, is a company that's uh, republished games on physical carts for Super Nintendo, Mega Drive, and, and NES. So yeah, yeah. So 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 Martin, so so talk to us a little bit about what you know. You've seen the industry over the last couple of decades. Um, why in the last five or six years or so, why has it boomed? What's your what's your thoughts on that? Um. I think there's a historical curiosity of the origin. Where does things come from? How did it start? Uh, tracing back the roots of Super Mario and Donkey Kong and so on. Um, I think that that's one aspect. But there's also something about... So there's, of course, the recognition uh, of games you have fond memories of, which makes you more prone to probably... Uh, relive Crash Bandicoot or Resident Evil in new remakes, but if you if you look specifically at old games, I believe there's the unique aesthetics of pixel art and the audio from that time, like the SID chip of the C64 or the Super Nintendo audio, that feels like a game. They're not trying to imitate real life. It's a very specific uh, game-like feeling. Um, so with that. You could sort of peel back and say, okay, so there's less visual cover-up as well. 
you couldn't have a lot of bells and whistles, mean, which means you go more to the core because there was more limitations. Um, it had to be fun and it had to be work. It had to work right. right out of the box. There were no patching. Um, so I think there's there's some of those player motivations. Uh, a bit more to the core, a bit tougher games maybe, uh, but also like pure a game like Pong is. You may laugh about it, but it's essentially as pure as it can be. There's mm -hmm. a ball, there's two paddles, it's going back and forth. Still, it's great fun. It's competitive. It's 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 pure. Um, but I also think it's, of course, the audience turning older. You have mm. people reminiscing and, and remembering uh, the good old days and want to play what you're familiar with. I, mean, I think at some point, people start to be less... Uh, how do you say less open to new things? Like imagine social media that you probably have Facebook, but it must be an early adopter or or younger to add, to go into like TikTok or something mm. like that. I think there's a all same thing with like commercial radio or public radio. If you were raised on public radio, you're probably less likely to listen to commercial radio. This is a retro topic, by the way. Nobody <laughs> listens to radio anymore, right? Which, which even that is silly. People stream now, right? Um, but I don't think that coming back to that historical and aesthetic, I think it's an emerging group of young players that see it on YouTube, get curious. Uh, I mean, yes, that's you know, new people keep on discovering Beatles and Rolling Stones or all watch old movies such as Blade Runner or Apocalypse Now. I mean, it's still great music and great movies, and same could be said about those games. I think something you said that was really interesting, uh, sorry, Mike, um, uh, that was really interesting to me was the thought about people that have um, grown up with games and they're a bit older now and they kind of do a, a look back to when times were simpler, things were easier. And the thing that really struck me was when you said you can't patch it and <laughs> it needed to be really core game design it, like, and it can't, wasn't a focus on the aesthetics. Brilliant. Yeah, and, and I'm wondering if, like, you know, there's probably a lot of truth to that. There's There are people that are like, look, I don't have a lot of time for my games anymore. And I don't want to have to constantly download patches. I don't want games that are broken. I just want to come in, enjoy an experience, and know that I can put that away and just feel good about it. Like, they kind of just know exactly what they're getting, and it works. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that's just, like, something that's planted in their head. And they're like, I remember a time when I could do that. Let's, <laughs> let's go back. Hmm. Well, I, I, or, I mean, yes... Maybe maybe not just uh, get it to work, but maybe the feature creep that it's so easy now to say we need mm. to have the battle royal, we need to have the co-op, mm. we need to have the single player, and it needs to be a progression tree, and it needs to be cars, and it needs to be hand-to-hand -hand combat in mm. addition to guns. And suddenly you get this freak of a game that trying to be everything but it's nothing. That in a sense, mm. that's also the beauty of a lot of games that they manage to stay unique and stay very true to to what yeah what they're trying to be. Yeah, I, it, I, it's almost like Martin, like you've been in that path before with some of those games with so much stuff. <laughs> but I, do love, I, I do love that you, you look to Hans and I, when you start saying, you know, and people are getting older oh. and they're looking for, you know, no, but I, I, I think those are good points, right? That you have an aging demographics. We kind of grew up with gaming. We're looking back for simpler times, simpler games. It makes a ton of sense. And I think nostalgia is a trend across many different, obviously industries. And I think now we're getting to a point where, you know, there's a lot of new stuff, but then there's 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 room for a lot of the old stuff too to become new again, and I think that's exciting. Um, 
So, Anz, you were going to say something, though, I thought. Well, I, I, was, I was thinking more along the lines of our generation growing up, you know, who grew up in the 80s, you know, late 70s, um, or 90s. Paul, it's like 90s, I think. Well, no, here's the thing. Like, bef before 80s, us, 80s. the like, they didn't have a ton of games, didn't have a ton of TV shows, didn't have a ton of movies. I mean, there was Star Wars, but not so much else, right? <laughs> and uh, we were really... We, uh, gluttonous in terms of the culture and the pop culture and everything we consumed. So there was a hockey stick in, in how much stuff there was around. So obviously now that we have a lot of money to throw around, we thrive on nostalgia because, you know, the people who came before us don't didn't have too much to be nostalgic about, maybe. Maybe it was music more the nostalgia prior to gaming, maybe? What I mean, I guess you have those. Games. I remember that show, Freaks and Geeks, where the dad says, Gene Kroppa, now that's a real drummer. Uh, I guess no. already then he was nostalgic about like the old rock jazz right. as opposed to, you know, the 60s, 70s of The Who and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So the, um, I mean, I'm sure we've got a couple of those examples, but what are, what are some of the, the best and the worst examples? that you think that kind of tap into that nostalgia really well, like done well. Um, and some that are, let's, that are not. Yeah. I want to know the bad ones, but you can hit the good <laughs> ones first. <Yeah. laughs> uh, I mean, it's, um, I think a challenge as, as you're facing when you're bringing a game back is the preconception of what players expect and then what yeah. games has evolved and become. I think Shenmue is an example of uh, Shenmue 3. It's almost not really 20 years, but 15 years between the games. And in that time, you had GTA, Yakuza and whatnot giving you this open world, real life shoes, uh, choose your own way and explore. Um, it's just evolved tremendously. Uh, so I think that that's when you, you're, you have a nostalgic shimmer of what used to be, but it doesn't match with today's expectations of that games or those kind of games right uh but Maybe i think, I think there's this, old this enough right i'm sorry i interrupted you I yes true say, yeah. but i think so there, there's there's some there's there's some things that that's really from a player perspective also uh when you bring back a game and it's a classic, like an arcade classic or a console classic. You need, you, you want optimized ports. You want like pixel perfect. It shouldn't be blurry, upscaled. It shouldn't be skewed from for free to widescreen. Um, and in that sense, there are also some really good developers like M2 in Japan uh, that that besides those perfection also do quality of life improvements like putting in a map in fancy star one it was a really difficult maze uh, when you were in the dungeons and um, putting that map actually adds value to the player to enjoy the game better mm. same with putting in stats in shoot em up games and stuff like that uh arcade archives is also really good at uh, having the options of do you want CRT filters, do you want right. pixel perfect? So, so I think it's also about making sure that you you do an experience that allows the player to um, 
leave out their interpretation. Do you want the CRT filter? Do you want the quality of light updates? But not just a sloppy port that just gives you a... You have emulators for that already if you want mm -hmm. to play old games. What um, This is going to be a question that Paul's going to love, um, so I'm going to ask it. Uh, what is what is the one uh, IP franchise title, you call it, that you want remade? Remade, remastered, reimagined. What's the one out there? Reanimated. Reanimated, interesting. Resuscitated. <laughs> <laughs> They've cut, yeah. Because a lot, I mean, there's very few, I think there's very few brands right now that haven't been. Hmm. No, that's true. I mean, there, I think there is actually. I could, I could probably go on and on about a lot of games that hasn't <laughs> been remade, but I think they they will yeah. be kind of small. Some of them will be small titles. Some of them will uh, probably not make sense. But there is a lot of games. Hmm. Um, I, I've one game that either either could work as a modernized remake or actually have a sequel is The Last Ninja, for example. I think that's a oh, brilliant yes. game that, that I really miss. Um, I would. Uh, there's a lot of Super Nintendo uh, generation games as well. Um, and so Dragon Eye. Saga. Uh, yeah, Golden Eye. That's an interesting. You have to you have to give your perspective on that one because that's. Uh, I think that's uh, one of these. You know, FPS and what happened yeah. the last twenty there, years. There, there, we still have games. that genre. Yeah, of course. There's plenty of uh, there's three games in college that were very formative for me. There was there, there was Goldeneye, Tecmo Bowl, yeah. which like I I still but I of course that doesn't make sense to I think re, re, remake. Although maybe it does. Isn't that on Nintendo Online? By the way, you can play it on Switch with Nintendo so. Online. I don't know. This yeah. is new to me. I, I, if you, if you watched episode two, you know that one of the things I'm hating on is the fact that I gave away my Switch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, your son stole it, right? Or borrowed it yes you do you yes you do yes yes he's well he gave me the i forgot switch was cool and he, gave, he, he came in the you sure you got that switch you haven't really played with it a little bit yeah yeah so anyway but but um okay so we've kind of i think you're right i mean we, we talked through a lot of the things that make a good um uh, game and maybe not necessarily but do you do you guys have any examples of things that and it's okay if we don't but any examples where you're like oof? because i know paul has plenty of examples where he's like i hate that oh. i never <laughs> But one that just like was a stinker or one that was just like brilliant, like to me, and again, I'm a Halo guy. So of course I'm a little bit of a fanboy. but the Master Chief collection I thought was done really well. Um, I, you know, I, it may not be the highest watermark of all kind of remasters, but in terms of a remaster, I thought it was really good. Um, and they put a lot of, they clearly put some effort into that. Uh, things that were not as good. Hmm. Well, you know what? The Final Fantasy remake, the Final Fantasy seven one, they decided to, it, it wasn't a pure one-to-one -one remake at all. I mean, they expanded on the story and it's a 3D thing and, and it's real-time combat right now, which is kind of, I don't, I don't, I want the old combat back, right? That was engaging. It, it felt retro and it was kind of fun, but maybe not the, you know, the random encounter Seven stuff, minute right? Bamahut dragon flying from the moon yeah. down to the hell. Yeah. And three minutes later, you can do Jesus. the next move. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I well, uh, it, maybe it's just a reaction to the fact that the uh, the implementation of the combat I don't like in the current okay. remake. That's fair. It's mm -hmm. kind of floaty and jumpy, and it, it could have been better. So it's not a 
uh, maybe it's that. But I was thinking uh, when, when you uh, asked this question, Mike, I was thinking about the Gold Box series of RPGs from SSI, mm. um, which tied into the Dungeons and Dragons stories of the time. This was from, you know, the late 80s to kind of early 90s. And there were a ton of games, which that genre is just gone. There are no more like uh, tiny little RPGs where you have your characters in a party. I don't know. I don't know why why, why that went away. But there are mm -hmm. examples of whole genres of games that aren't being produced anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That'd be a fun Fuck job. Mm -hmm. That was a good one in the, in the SSI series. Yes, sir. You know what so, I love about you, Martin, is like there's just an endless amount of trivia or little little pieces of like word of knowledge from the gaming industry that I'm like, oh, that's right. That was out there, too. You are. I mean, it's how many books, by the way, have you written? Was it four? Four books? In the gaming <laughs> yeah, the, um, at some point, we'll have to kind of plug them. But here's just kind of changing gears a little bit, because I think we could we could talk about just. Uh, I, mean, I didn't even I didn't even get to talk about any of the things that I hated. Because <laughs> we know your answer, Paul. Your yeah, answer I, is I hate them, I hate them, I hate them. That's true, but I think that I think the reason I, but the reason why is the interesting part. <laughs> no, no, because the answer is gonna be some reason and I'll say, Did you play them? And you'll be like, No, no. and then yeah. Because <laughs> they're dumb. Uh no. So uh so it, I think the interesting thing you brought up about the Master Chief collection is um correct me if I'm wrong, but was every game available on PC in the first place, or were they all Mostly Xbox. Who cares about? Oh, you mean when they first launched? Who cares? No, okay. That's the whole point of the Master Chief Collection is they hit a new audience. No, 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 no. Well, I'm, are you talking about Master Chief the Collection? Or are you talking about the titles themselves when they the were the Master first? Chief Collection? I actually don't know. Mm -hmm. Now who doesn't know, Mike? Hmm. So I played it on console. Yeah. So no, I mean, you're right. They're all. I think. I think one or two of them might have been on PC, uh, like Windows platform, like number two or three. I don't remember which one. But yeah, like Master Chief Collection is now on Steam. It's it's doing all this stuff because it's trying to find a different audience, trying to find new people, and they they won't want the uprised version. But I think the thing that just bothers me is um, if you've played those games before and you've played them to death, like why play them again? I just I I I have such a hard time with that concept of going back to play something because I haven't um, played it in fifteen years. They've but, but you've played it. The, the fact that the up-res, you know, the, the games, and I mean, I think to you me, you said you didn't care about graphics as much. You were just hating on it. So why? It's relative. I didn't. I didn't say I didn't mm -hmm. care about graphics. I do love that you said <laughs> it's, it's like you care. It's not binary that way. Come on, Paul. You know better. I know. I, what I said was this senseless kind of marveling over graphics. Yeah. There's a difference. It's not to say they're not important. It's just that there is just like such a fixation on it has to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's 1080p. It's not 4K. Don't really care. Right. Yeah. And all of that stuff. But the um anyway. But 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 to your but to your point. Okay. So you were saying. Why, what was your example again? Oh, so the, the Master Chief thing was just like, I think it was like the reason for them doing this to think is to hit a new audience on PC. And I think that the, the reason they, they uh, mastered them or remastered them, so gave a new coat of paint, um, kind of bundled it all together was like good price point for a ton of value for people that are just new to the franchise. So I understand like, what, the, what the aim was. Um, I actually don't me, know that it was on PC first, to be honest. But I could no, be it was. It was on. I think it was on. I think it was on Xbox first, but they just brought it to PC. I think. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like for me, just it, the the weird thing is like all these people probably grew up with all these games, and uh, I just 
I don't know why you'd want to go back and play the same multiplayer game that you've been playing for decades. To me, like, I feel like it's, it, we, we talked a little bit about before when, like, there's new mechanics, there's new expectations that players have in, in games. And I feel like shooters is one of those areas that's always pushing the needle. So for me, it's sure. just a weird concept to, to jump back for. But like, original I'll, Halo I'll, was pure. It was pure, but let me just give you one example. Let's mm. talk about Halo. It had no, there was no concept of live. You had to have land parties. You had right. to have either like you had to hack it. You had to. There's so in a world. Well, you, I can't remember what we used. It was GameSpy or something else back in the day, pre Xbox. Oh man, yeah. 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 I don't know if you guys remember what I'm talking about. But mm -hmm. imagine a world where they bring that to life and you have live. Well, done mm -hmm. in, just mm -hmm. by virtue of that. Um, but anyway, uh, I digress. But mm -hmm. but I, I, I think I think it's interesting because I think there's a lot of that kind of back and forth, and we can get into a kind of a philosophical battle of kind of reimagines versus remakes versus because some of we've worked yeah, on yeah. Some of the reimagined products right yes battlefront and others are interesting but i but I, I also want to kind of um i'd love for us to talk about if we have some time to talk through this is gaming you know and other industries right there's many categories that have very much kind of different trends that kind of recycle throughout that and if we think that there's a difference in gaming, um, and if so, to what end um, in gaming? What do, what do you think, Martin? I mean, definitely. Um, I, I think the big difference to start, of course, is music and film is passive. Games is interactive. So yes, that gives a very different premise. Um, meaning, you I mean you 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 improve controls, you improve. Uh, Accessibility or other features, so I think that 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 makes a big difference. Uh, but there is also, a, a, I think, there's an outset in uh, as a starting point. It's kind of weird. You talk, we talk about retro gaming. Like I'm a retro gamer. You're not a retro listener or retro watcher if you, you <laughs> watch Star Trek from the '60s. Um, so it's also kind of weird. Uh, it's it's become this sub genre if you talk about like this aesthetics. Uh, well, yeah, so that's another aspect of it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's also uh, availability because I can go watch original season one Star Trek from the '60s on my big screen TV out there, um, but I can't really play the old games unless I get those old consoles and then get a CRT TV that kind of hook them up, or maybe there's like a thing i don't know i'm not a retro gamer or you can buy the re remakes or the re-editions or the emulators and stuff so uh yeah there there's a difference yeah there definitely is i also think the technology um improves i think now this is just me more speculating not necessarily having anything to kind of back up so hans you can call me out but i think we, we are the technology is excel is accelerates faster that does you know you know both art and design and the fact that the our, I think our industry just accelerates faster than maybe um, more linear kind of media products. And at the end of the day, um, it, it in some ways means that a lot of the gaming can be dated quickly. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Although I, mean, I would say that in in the I, I play games that are five years old, uh, Path of Exile or Warframe. A lot of these kind of yeah. uh, uh, you know forever games um, are kind of old right now. Dota, Counter Strike, yeah. League of Legends, but if I go back maybe five years, I wouldn't play a five-year-old game then. So mm -hmm. something is happening, something is shifting around. In that. The fidelity kind of uh, maybe 
maybe I'm fine with older, you know, aesthetics. Sometimes they. Well, it's, in some ways, there was the race. Uh, we're going to talk about graphics again, but it, it, there was that kind of race to get to a certain bar. And now you get to the point where it's like you're kind of just tuning graphics, right? You're, I mean, there definitely there's there there are improvements in certain areas. But well, when is it good? Are trying, you know, our ray tracing and everything, you yep. know, the buzzwords. Yeah. But when is it good enough, right? Like at one point where you're like, okay, really, and I care less about that with so much choice when many games, because the middleware technology and engines have gotten so much better about being able to improve the fidelity. Right. And you kind of appreciate games that are kind of a, a you know a change in the palette. A, a, they kind of cleanse your palette because they're yeah. cell shaded or something else. Mm. Um, but they, okay, so that's, that's interesting. I, um, uh, around just kind of just the other entertainment. I mean, I think it cuts across many music um gaming uh okay paul you were going to ask a question though about future yeah i was i was going to jump in uh so uh martin you've you've done a lot of look backs and that's a lot of what um you've been focused on as kind of a student of the the industry and, and everything but what what has everything been building towards in the next couple of years like what do you as somebody who's who's looked at all that stuff and and, and are still immersed in it today like what do you think is going to be happening in the next couple of years that is going to really kind of you know, shake, shake the foundations of what we, what we know about gaming. So I think um, Mike's uh, point is actually a good bridge because we, we sort of already started to hit the roof of like the visual fidelity. Um, I think that was what made the, the early 90s so fun because the development going from 8-bit to 16-bit to CD and 3D was amazing. And we sort of already hit that uh, or, or pass the bar uh, so the, the steps are so small now so I, I, I think it's convenience mm. convenience I think that was something that I liked when they had the early console show that get into the game mm. faster load yeah. faster uh, I think that's been a barrier for VR you know headsets, cables, calibration it's, just, it's, just a, it's so cumbersome uh, that's what I love about the switch. I mean, I turn on my switch; it even turns on the TV for me. Yeah. That's that's the kind of thing of. Uh, and then we, if we do, then look further, and it's business models and all that, the sides, platform, you know, e ecosystems, because that also affects uh, how the industry change. But imagine the lower barrier to entry that you mm -hmm. turn on your TV. You don't need to download the game. You don't need to wait for the patch. It streams right away and you play. I mean, that's the ultimate uh, mm. get straight into it. I mean, that's convenience. And that that's why also mobile games have been so accessible because it's so easy to get into it. So you download them from the, the app store and you immediately you're into it. It's easy. You play, you play with your friends. So I mean, that, that's interconnected uh, um, player experience with sharing it with other players playing together and making it seamless uh, cross play cloud all the buzzwords here but you know where i'm getting at <laughs> no I, I think that's i think convenience is a great word because it touches on so many things that i mean on, on, on this show we've talked a little bit about uh streaming before and uh I th knowing that like yep this is the future we're all going to be there but i think convenience is a better umbrella term because it hit on a lot of those things you just mentioned um faster time into the game or probably even faster patches or the elimination of patches, like anything that just keeps you in the experience as as quickly and as long as possible is, yeah, that's, yeah. convenience is a great word. That's I mean, if you're a one. fan, like if you are a retro gamer and then you have a, 
you know, trolley of old uh, Famicons that you pull out and then you hook up your CRT screen and you do things. You you uh, you don't care about convenience. You just want to get that experience, right? But, but the vast oh, so, majority think, of people. Yeah, but if, so here, I think there's, you would talk about different segments. So you have you have one of those retro gamers is actually the collector. They want to buy the games, mm. so they rarely actually play the games. They put them on the shelf and like, oh, this is a great A-grade um uh, mint version never open it because then it started to deteriorate uh, then you have like the, the the purists those who, who see challenge of tuning their CRT uh, hooking up their their system modding to you know RGB SCART or whatever uh, but then you go to convenience ones those who actually love Nintendo online and the switch pay you get access immediately you have quick save features you have, have things that makes it better to play you don't have to go to the scrapyard to find an old tv it actually plays mm -hmm. on your switch and you can bring your switch along uh, so i think there, there's uh, there's actually a service launching or have launched i think called ant stream that will be on xbox and ps4 eventually uh, they do actually stream classic games i think that's sort mm -hmm. of like if you're a retro gamer you don't want to download and put games on a SD card and put in a, in a, in a console. That, that's a way of getting immediate access. Or the mini consoles. For players, they just want to have like the, the Super Marios, the Sonics, the, 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 the greatest hits album, so sure. to say. Mini console is perfect. It's cheap compared to buying the actual cards. I mean, I even sold free Super Nintendo games before buying the SNES Mini. I love this NES Mini because I could quick save in Final Fantasy and Super Metroid. Mm -hmm. So that's actually where I spent most of my hours. And it was a great deal because those mm -hmm. SNES cards were damn for three times more expensive than SNES Mini. <laughs> you, you know what's going to be interesting is... Oh, go ahead, Hans. No, no. Well, I was going to say what's going to be interesting is how we define what retro gaming is in five years from now. We have this conversation. Like, it, does it continue to roll forward? Like, when does... Things like Borderlands become retro gaming. Mm. Oh boy! I mean, we have a generation that grows up with Minecraft, that grows up with uh, um, Fortnite, uh, and the, these are services which mean the world changed. But also, imagine people who got the first connection with games through mobile games. The tiny bird, or tiny wings, or what it was called, mm -hmm. uh, the the doodle jumps, and so uh, so on. Actually, was that Angry up... Bird? Is that you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, what did I, about, say? did I say? Did I say doodle there's bird? There's a game called Tiny Tiny Wings. Uh, yeah, Tiny Wings. That was great. Was there, it was Tiny Wings. Okay, yeah. I thought you were yeah. talking about Angry Birds, but yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think it's. It's not the. There's the one one tap. Uh, yeah. Right. I was thinking yeah, of the game that actually you're you're a bird that flies up and down some hills and not trying yeah. to pass through gates. Yeah. That might be another one. Anyways, I think imagine that a lot of these games are actually removed from the App Store because they were not updated to work on newer iOS. So in a sense, even like a lot of mobile games has disappeared. And mm. I mean, how how PC games or computer games at least there's usually ROM dumps or you know we can play DOSBox or whatever. But mobile games in that enclosed, especially Apple enclosed platform, you really have to save the app on an old old version, an old iPhone and bring that out and to play again. Then you get into the next trouble. Games that since some stepped out or Pokemon Go are actually always online. 
So I mean, we're 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 at the cusp of of losing uh, generations of of memories and experiences, or even history. Trauma. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and wind Mike up a little bit um, uh, one more time. But this is a question for you, Martin. Um, so with things like the Halo Master Chief Collection, um, you know, before I kind of speculated that I think it was to to try to hit on a new audience on PC. Um, Mike did correct me and say that you know it was out on consoles first. Uh, but the thing I'm I'm curious to know is why do you think so many uh, gaming publishers are are apt to try to um, remaster, reimagine, um, update old games or resurrect old franchises. Like, is it is it purely just they're like we know people will buy it, or you know, wh- what do you think some of the thinking is behind that? Absolutely, I think there's a commercial aspect that there is a history. These some of these games were released in times when it was only four or five games per month, or twenty games per month. Suddenly, we're in a world uh, of you know the digital floodgates. Uh, is an ama- amazing thing because it was meant access to market for a lot of developers or smaller publishers that couldn't have a chance in the ecosystem of retail and traditional box products. Um, and I think that that meant tremendous innovation. You know, different pricing meant that games that would not have worked in a retail environment suddenly had a chance. So I think that it's amazing. They also meant a lot of games. You, you mean, what, what is it, 300 or 400 games per day on mobile? It's yes. massive amounts of games on Steam. So from that perspective, those games came from a time when uh, they sold quite well or moderately well, and there's an awareness. So you, you're mm-hmm. talking about the brand awareness, you're mm-hmm. talking about nostalgia. And then put it in perspective of today, you have to cut through the clutter. If you have something that's a bit known, like say the example of Streets of Rage, there hasn't been a new Streets of Rage in, since 93 or 94. Dot Emu licenses it from Sega, does Streets of Rage 4. Is there a recognition? There's old fans that would love to see a new game uh, in the series. So it's like a kickstart to a mm. new game instead of calling it, I don't know, Rage Streets. Uh, Zero. Yeah. Nobody knew what that was. I mean, imagine the challenge of explaining this is a cool beaten up. Uh, it gets the hype rolling easier. It's mm. it's, it's yeah. sort of a guarantee. Like when you license a, a famous IP, say like Star Wars, doing Star Wars Battlefront, <laughs> there's a certain audience and recognition that means that he as a publisher, by paying the licensee, uh, Disney or, or LucasArts, it's sort of a, a guarantee in sales and recognition that instead of spending a lot of marketing, you already have awareness and eyeballs because everybody wants to know what's going to happen and they want to play it on the outstar, outset just because they are fans of Star Wars. In, and I think it's the same, same, uh, same aspect here. Semi-related question then. Um, what, how does, where does that leave some of those... Um kind of nostalgia movies based on video games. So like Detective Pikachu or the Sonic mm. movie, like that's kind of this weird triangle of uh, nostalgia and different mediums. Like that's a weird space to kind of hit. It is. And I think you're, you're at the top of the pyramid when you were talking about transmedia and how you extend suddenly pikachu was talking right he hasn't done that before so you actually extend ip so for i think it was a way for nintendo or pokemon company to 
actually grow the IP. Uh, in most cases, I mean, you you start at the base level of the pyramid of t-shirts. You you can buy Sonic uh, socks, Mike. By the way, if you need new <laughs> socks at Old Navy. <laughs> Uh, you have you can find Nintendo T-shirts or, or sweatshirts at uh, H&M, uh, and then you go up. Like the next step is more dedicated fans who buy the vinyl record of the soundtrack, or uh, you know, then you go go to the comics, or you have maybe the the arcade live action version uh, or whatever. So I think the, uh, you have that whole pyramid of, of um, incremental revenue that I think publishers or IP owners are also very keen on. Mm. Uh, looking at movies and music, that's more established. That's uh, uh, you already have a license program. Well, I think it's more new. You see it now with Nintendo and Sega is really good at it. Namco is really good at it with you know how they they um, treasure Pac-Man. He had his 40th anniversary. They did a lot of cool stuff. Right. They did collaboration with other games, but they yeah. also did a merchandising program, ranging ranging from cheap things to like exclusive design stuff or statues that cost several mm. hundred euros. Yeah. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. It well, is. I think I, I was just going to go back to that one point because I think Martin, you, I mean, you kind of summarize that this whole discussion up as, as to why one, it matters. And then why does it matter from a business perspective and consumers? And that is there's this brand recognition, this equity in every one of these IPs and um, in a world where you're launching 300 games on mobile and there's thousands and thousands and especially, you know, going into the next release of consoles, which will have forward compatibility and everything else, there's literally thousands and thousands of choices, right? And so in that world and building new IPs is so difficult. You have to spend so much money to get a certain amount of awareness out. Having that built in equity launching it matters a great deal. And so I think in some ways we kind of started some of this conversation and saying, what's the future look like? You'll probably see this um, accelerate in some ways, I think, um, because you do have a lot of that built up equity and reimagining a lot of these games. And I don't necessarily think it's bad. I think, Paul, I know that where you're kind of coming from, and I think there's definitely a lot of hacks out there that are just saying, leverage the equity and make, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, make minimal investments in terms of the game and then you just get a shitty product. And hopefully that's not most, mm -hmm. most people, right? Cause I think consumers have a way of teaching us a hard lesson when you do stuff like that. But I, I, I do think you will see more and more of it. The more crowded the market, the more mature the market is, the more I think we'll want to kind of build equity and leverage that equity as, as we go forward. And also it's probably fairly inexpensive um, to just buy an old IP. I mean, the last ninja is probably not very expensive. You can you can you know grab some eyeballs because of that. Uh, actually, it it is. I think that's actually one of the problems for those who still own IPs. They, you you probably had a more of a gold rush like ten years ago or five years ago. No. But today it's kind of expensive. Actually, a lot of like the Japanese classics is um, they're actively licensing out like Data East or IRM. Um, IRM is owned I think by ASU and they, they have R-Type and they seldom do something with R-Type themselves license it out so, uh, unfortunately mm -hmm. I think the, it's it's hard to even last Ninja the, the company system free is still around I think it's it's one of their real like treasures that they have in their catalogs so, they're gonna 
cling on Wait, hard to that. Right. Well, there's you, you can probably go more niche than that then, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the but I mean, you, you don't need to necessarily acquire it. You can do like .emo did with uh, actually licensing uh, right. Streets of Rage. Um, and that was from Sega. So, I mean, there, there is... Uh, there is examples. Uh, I mean, Disney has some of those old games they did. I think Capcom did the Disney Afternoon Collection based on the old ones. Um, and SpongeBob was recently released as a rehydrated. Uh, <laughs> uh, that that's you know I was over an old game, but still I think there, there's there's um, there's also the opportunity to. Um, if you have the have like the you think you have the right game that could be remaster remake, you can probably license the IP as well. If not mm-hmm. acquiring if that's too expensive. Cool. Potential business opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. We could just sit in on this conversation and just ideate on with Martin on some of the titles that we want to publish ourselves. Um, so I, I think, you know, that's, that's, by the way, Martin, thank you so much for kind of coming on and giving us kind of in some ways a history lesson from professor, um, gaming uh uh the um and i and i appreciate it i always learn a little bit in talking and li- just listening to you and so i do i do appreciate it the um so now i think that concludes kind of that discussion and then we always get the that's fucking cool um and would love to invite you as part of this uh, section which is we you know we find something in the, in the world or in our lives that we just think is um you know, it, it, it cuts out, it, it cuts above the rest and it's something we want to bring attention to that we just think is cool. Uh, and so that is this segment. So do you, um, by chance, do you have a, that's fucking cool moment or thing? I do actually, I do actually, because, and it's related to this because uh, recently <laughs> I discovered that there's, um, Here we go. yeah, there's, uh, there's somebody who's actually invented a light gun that works with LCD TVs. Uh, so old light guns, you know, that you played yeah. in the arcade or, or consoles, they reacted to the update, the update, um, uh, the picture update. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, the rolling scan lines. And there's, there's been many, uh, many people tried like with camera tracking, uh, red dots and whatnot. But this one apparently doesn't use any shit like that mm. and i think that's really cool i mean imagine it's a big game changer to be able to play arcade classics or console classics like duck hunt house of the dead uh, lucky and wild uh, madog mccree virtual cup or whatever uh, but also opportunities actually uh, maybe a renaissance of new railgun shooters i think yeah. i mean that's that's the origin sort of of fps the more accessible version of point shoot i think that's actually cool yeah, that's interesting. We didn't that even talk awesome. about accessories. I just want to know when the power glove comes back. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> Paul, what do you what do you got? You got anything? You are I on? do. Um, uh, so as of this recording um, earlier today, NASA launched a new uh, rocket to uh, dump some stuff on Mars. So we're going to have a new rover, uh, and we're also going to have a helicopter. Like really. That shit's bonkers. Wait, wait, wait. It, <laughs> it can actually Mars, fly on Mars. Mars copter? Yeah. Mars copter. I didn't yeah. know this. I saw, the, I saw the headline earlier today, but I was like, the, all right, that's cool. Yeah. The Space Perseverance is, is, the, is the name of the rover, and the Integrity, I think, is the – or Ingenuity. Right. Sorry. The Ingenuity right. is the name of the, uh, the, the rotocopter. Helicopter. I was going to guess with Kick-Ass, the helicopter. So is Space Force is. going to protect the helicopter, or is this going to work? <laughs> no. uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't think that's up and running yet. Yeah, of course. Steve, so. Steve, uh, is it Steve Carell? Yeah, Steve Carell just just kind of kicked that off. So we're we're getting there. <laughs> Excellent. 
Cool. Uh, should should I do mine? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I think a couple episodes ago we talked about. Um, I, I I talked about this, but I didn't. Uh, I I couldn't remember the name of the company, which I do now, and it's called Limited Run mm. Games. Uh, so Limited Run is a publishing company that publishes uh, uh, digital games only, uh, so you can get them in a limited run physical form. So if you want that Celeste game for Switch on a cartridge, you can you can buy that through Limited Run. You can limitedrungames.com, and it ties into a lot of these conversation about games. Kind of we're losing out on download only games. I think that's fucking cool. How does the licensing on that work? Yeah, they 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 do license. They they work with them and. You know, it, it, it doesn't have all games, but it has a ton of, uh, you know, fan favorites and uh, mm. indie darlings. And it's, it's, it's like a thriving sector uh, because, you know, all these AA publishers disappeared or went belly up. Mm-hmm. And I think the business model for these companies like uh, Limited Run or the similar ones like Strictly Limited Games, mm-hmm. really good one as well. They actually released UltraCore, an old DICE classic that was cancelled and they brought it back and released it on modern platforms. Uh, the business model is that they they sell directly to consumer, means they don't need a distributor, they don't need a retailer. Mm-hmm. So that way you can have a smaller volume and the developer, the publisher, the digital publisher also get a larger share yeah. compared to retail sales. You still, I mean, if you have a big hit in retail, if you're the EA or the Activision of the world, you can still scale and sell a loft and make a profit. Yeah. But if you are a smaller one, that's actually the model that makes sense to go digital. Hmm. Yeah. And there's quite a lot of them. There's super rare games, uh, games uh, fan gamer. I'm eight bit, so I'm eight bit is doing untitled goose game uh, on recyclable uh, material. That's hmm. cool. It's also kind of innovation. I think it's really cool. That's that is cool. cool. I like that. We should, that we even, should have that even fucking cooler. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we should have had you on for the for the, re, the retail episode, Martin. You could you could you could have spit some knowledge around where is retail going to go because we talked about that the other day. It's going to go um, under eventually. <laughs> right. I love it. Well, Summarize so, the episode. Yeah. Right. Done. Well, so I'll, I'll kind of close it out with mine. Which, by the way, my that's fucking cool. Um, is nothing related to the the um, the episode today, but it is related to a lot of the things we keep talking about. What we miss, like things like travel. So I've been, of course, fantasizing about what am I going to travel and at what point do I travel. Dubai keeps coming up as one of the mm-hmm. destinations, mostly in the winter because that's when I think I will travel. I don't know why Paul's shaking his head. He I want might to change the whole building. It, well, he might change his mind when 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 I say I was kind of toying with it, and this might push me over the edge. And that is, they have a um, a VR AR. Um, uh, uh, boy, what am I even uh, thinking? Like park. Oh, park. Park. No, it's, it's a like park. It's it's like a it's like an adventure park, like Disney World for VR. Ah, and so the Oasis like, in Ready Player One. Ah, uh, that's right. <laughs> or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So there's like 25 or 30, I think, different VR experiences. Look, and they're st- they're not like all high production or anything else. You can go fly a helicopter. You can go uh, go on a roller coaster. But just the fact that it's like a completely virtual adventure park that's like 10,000 square meters, I thought was pretty cool. Pretty interesting. There, there's what a battlefield VR there. Is there really? Yes, Are you joking? Yeah. I had no, no idea. No. I, I recall that we we did uh, licensing, and uh, the, it was I think it was Dubai. <laughs> okay, that's that's pretty that's pretty right. funny. I, I actually didn't know that, but yeah. So if you want to have thirty whatever different kind of virtual experiences in this big massive VR park, it's over in Dubai of all places. Cool, it's fucking cool. 
I mean, that's actually location, uh, sorry for digressing, but location-based mm -hmm. VR is actually, I think, uh, one of the cooler ways to experience VR because then you do it in this 4D mm -hmm. way that you're not right. uh, I agree. constrained by your small home. You can actually move around and have uh, accessories and stuff. So I think that's, yeah. I, I see why. I see totally why you mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hans, you want to bring us home, though? Yeah, I mean, uh, we we can probably uh, talk about this for another uh, couple of hours. All of the cool games that we're missing, but I would like to ask all of our, you know, listeners and viewers to maybe leave some comments on some of the games that that you feel you know should maybe uh, be remade or a genres that we could bring forward to the uh, current current day, or some of the old games that you're kind of missing. So, you know, drop a comment. Smash that like and subscribe button and uh, <laughs> stay safe out there, everybody. Bye. Thank you all for listening. If you want to see more episodes of this podcast, please check out patchandcrash.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at patchandcrash, where we post about new episodes or live streams. 